0: Welcome back to New Rockstars. This is The Big Question, the show that gives you too much information about how Zack Snyder's DCEU vision is actually perfect, so long as you keep up with the comment screenshots from Vero. You know what? It's not that hard. If you were a true fan, you would already know this. With Zack Snyder's Justice League, we think only weeks away from its premiere on HBO Max, we're gonna break down the complete DCEU timeline. What happened to this promising franchise? And, you know, thanks to the Snyder Cut and a couple other titles, maybe James Gunn Suicide Squad, the Flash movie starring Michael Keaton. The DCEU can be saved, folks. Its best days may still be ahead. We're going to explain how that will happen. I'm Eric Voss. Here with me today is Zach Huddleston. Hey, hey, man. Hey,
1: Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm here to uh, represent Zach's the world over, uh, be they <laughs> Snyder's or Huddleston's. Yep. I've got my head uh, turned backwards like it's time to do business and because I haven't had a haircut in a really long time. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's the Ash Ketchum rule of getting serious. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you were here, I believe last time we talked about the DCEU in a big question episode. We talked about the kill counts between Batman and V Superman. Uh, it's very interesting to look at that Kryptonian Genesis uh, chamber to see if, you know, those counts as lives. They don't count. They weren't fertilized. Hey, uh
1: Life, yeah. life Begins in pod. That sounds like a great podcast about abortion <laughs> yeah. that I won't listen to. Friends <laughs> of the Life Begins <laughs> in pod. Thank you for having me back. I haven't big question I want to propose to you. How did the DCEU get so up and how can the Snyder Cut restore it to its rightful glory? <laughs> it's
0: good that we're talking about this. It's a fascinating tale, the tale of the DCEU. Let's start with uh, some background. How do we get to this point in the DCEU to where we need the Snyder Cut, this weird HBO Max experiment to see if we can save it? Well, let's rewind the clock back to Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Super successful, Um, broke records. It was amazing. We can agree to that. But uh, Nolan, if you remember, outright refused to put superman or anyone with actual superpowers in his movies he wanted a grounded vision he wanted everything to be grounded in uh in science uh in logic except for when it comes to the dark knight rises how batman can (laughs) heal his back in a week
1: 20
0: minutes later Uh, After the Dark Knight trilogy, Warner Brothers sought to reboot the DC lineup as a cinematic universe. They've been trying to do that for years, and they saw what was happening at Marvel, and they're like, why are they successful? We have better characters. Let's do our version of it and show them how it's done. And the first title on this was Man of Steel. That was Zack Snyder's uh, relaunch of the DC EU, as it became known to be called. Uh, Man of Steel rebooted the Superman mythology, really, if you think about it, as an immigrant story. Henry Cavill, Cavill was great. The production designers were really great about sneaking in a ton of DC Easter eggs. There was Ace Chemicals. There was Luther Corp everywhere. The little Batman clues. Zack Snyder talked about how they left one of those Kryptonian pods open when uh, Kal-El found it, hinting at another Kryptonian's existence on Earth, maybe Supergirl. It really felt like you were joining a a broader world. It was really fun. Uh, And it ended up wrecking huge portions of Metropolis and it forced Superman to snap Zod's neck controversial, but emotionally justified. what do you think of Man of Steel, Zach?
1: I liked it. It did, I mean, it, it had been a while since we'd seen a Superman movie at that point, right? Since the Brandon Routh one-off. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was refreshing to see our old cape buddy back in action. Sure, I, I kind of agreed with some of the, you know, people who thought it was a slightly bloodier take than we might've needed, but it felt like, okay, this is the Superman equivalent to the Christopher Nolan Batman.
0: I think we are all at least willing to see what Zack Snyder had up his sleeve next. Because the guy is a very good technical director. He knows how to compose a shot. He can compose some really, really beautiful sequences on screen. So uh, that led Warner to approve a Justice League lineup of films under Snyder's Vision. But the next movie would not come out for another three years. So to make up for that wait, the next title was really DC's biggest fan service swing of all time, or at least to date. Batman B Super. Superman Donna, Justice, Zach. Do you remember 2013 Comic Con when uh, when Zack Snyder showed the Superman crest? He's like, I'm gonna do another Superman movie, and then the Bat sigil shadowed
1: up behind it. Everyone lost their minds. Wow! god yeah that was i i I have a very vivid memory of that exact thing you just described
0: i was like they're actually doing it and they got a great cast in here so this movie was going to launch the justice league it was going to bring in lex Luthor. it was going to introduce a new older grizzled batman played by ben affleck it was going to clash the two biggest names in comics It, it really can't be overstated how exciting this was for dc fans however when the trailers started to come out a lot of us got worried uh because warner was just showing so much in these trailers they were giving it all away Uh, they were showing how uh, wonder woman arrives which was like one of the coolest moments in the movie they put in the trailer doomsday they put in the trailer which basically told us that superman was gonna die when batman v superman eventually released in march 2016 you know when i went to go see it, it the movie looks beautiful it opens with this One of my favorite sequences, uh, this dramatic point of view shift for the Battle Metropolis from angry, angry, angry Ben Affleck, Bruce Wayne. It looks great. It's so dramatic and heart pounding. The duel between Bruce and Clark as they were going layer by layer, blow for blow, was pretty cool. But I mean, you know, we're not going to go over what the problems were with this movie. We know there were some muddy plot points. The Ultimate Edition did help clear a lot of that up. I would say ultimately didn't entirely fix, but it did clear up a lot of uh, questions. I had coming out of the theatrical cut. Now, in this one, the Easter eggs were awesome. There was this creepy Easter egg of a uh, dead Robin's suit in the Batcave that had "Ha ha ha!" jokes on you, Batman, saying the Joker killed Robin. Now we thought it was a nod to Joker killing Jason Todd, like the Death in the Family comic, but uh, Snyder actually later clarified that it was, the dead Robin was Dick Grayson. There was also that creepy nightmare sequence with a post-apocalyptic Earth, uh, post Dark Side, because it had the Omega symbol there an evil Superman. And then uh, Bruce woke up from that dream to still be what seemed like a dream, a visit by a time-traveling Flash who tells Bruce that uh, he was right about him, referring to Clark, and that Lois was the key. seems like this is about to get revisited in the Snyder Cut. We'll get back to that. So just to kind of recap what this film gave us, uh, Zack Snyder promised us, one, a coming conflict with Darkseid and Steppenwolf, two, the resurrection of Superman in his black suit in the next movie, three, the Justice League lineup up Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, uh, and maybe future prospects like Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter for a distant post apocalyptic future with evil Superman that the Flash would have to fix via what we assumed would be a Flashpoint paradox insane step in the movie franchise. Unfortunately, in Justice League, we ended up getting none of that. Uh, hopefully, we'll get it back in the fixed version.
1: It does seem, and you're going to get into this when you talk about Justice League here in a moment, right? That like this is where the DCEU diverges between what Snyder had originally planned for the entire thing and what we ended up getting right would you say that this is the main fork in the road
0: yes i think it was right around here where like warner did not know what to do with that film they rather than just trusting snyder to just kind of carry out his vision for better or worse they started to meddle and they started to tinker but they also saw some success in other releases and i think they learned the wrong lessons from those and that started with suicide squad which i would say is a movie that we were excited about but suffered from warner's expectation game like batman v superman did. I think you remember David Ayer's early trailer. It got really mixed reactions. There was that line from Will Smith where he's like, so it'll be some kind of Suicide Squad. And everyone's like, oh, come on, seriously?
1: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you will, look right here.
0: But then uh, a twist in spring 2016, they hired a new trailer cutting company who edited uh, a trailer to sync with Bohemian Rhapsody. And that was one of the coolest trailers ever. The reaction was, Too good though, because then Warner's like, oh, okay, 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 we'll just let this company re edit the entire film and then so a lot of stuff got lost right uh air never really got his final cut and then the movie ended up being a super colorful crazy soundtrack chaotic mess uh it does kind of tie into the dceu they have these splashy title cards where they reveal that harley quinn helped kill robin ben affleck batman actually shows up in these flashbacks to apprehend jared leto joker and harley quinn ezra miller flash shows up arresting captain boomerang but the plot zach I'm sorry, this movie is just kind of nonsensical the way it was released theatrically. A lot of the cast spends the final battle just like watching stuff happen. Uh, Joker dies, it seems like, but then comes back to life to break out Harley Quinn in the end. Never explained, which is why a lot of fans are now demanding the air cut.
1: Not not to get too movie critic here, well, this is a great time for you to stick your foot potentially in your mouth again, <laughs> Eric, as somebody who's, who's maybe not been super enthusiastic about the Snyder Cut. What are your thoughts on a potential Ayer cut?
0: I mean, I mean, look, if the Snyder cut existed in some form, the Ayer cut exists in some form, right? He has, I, I, I like, I think Zack Snyder knew what he wanted to do with Justice League more than Ayer knew what he wanted to do with Suicide Squad. I'll just say that. I am more excited by James Gunn's The Suicide yes. Squad than whatever Ayer had in the works. And I kind of want to see what James Gunn was with it, and then we can see what happens on the other side. And
1: it seems like that's what Warner Brothers thought as well, right? Like, there are no... Next, yeah. Justice League movies planned. They're they're investing their time and resources into the Snyder Cut. Right. Whereas there's about to be released a brand new Suicide Squad movie, right?
0: But let's talk about Wonder Woman in 2017. Uh, this movie, of course, remember a flashback to World War One. It was inspired by that 1918 photo that Bruce Wayne found of Diana that he gave to her in Batman v Superman. In this movie, Diana saves Chris Pine, Steve Trevor from some Germans, and then she crosses into No Man's Land. It's pretty cool. She defeats her uncle, Aerie though Steve has to give up his own life. But really, what I think a lot of people forget is that Wonder Woman opened with this cool new DC cinematic fanfare that promised a wide range of possible film adaptations. We saw, like, Nightwing, Green Lantern Corps, Gotham City Sirens, Mr. Freeze. I was so pumped to see what all, like, I was waiting for the day in, like, 2025 when I could go back and link to say they ended up doing this one and this one and this one and this one. They got to all of it. But here's the problem, Zach. Uh, Warner learned the wrong lesson from wonder Woman's success i think the studio was so thrilled with the response to that movie that they just like clung to it as this backup plan to just keep pumping out loosely connected dceu charming movies but without any broader vision of how it would connect to anything else but if you already kind of make the promise to your audience that some of this is going to connect they start to hold it to a higher standard of interconnectivity so you can't really have it both ways you have to either make elseworld uh anthology type movies or you can make something to where it's like the mcu where everything is connected and i think that is why we're seeing a lot of the reactions to wonder woman 84. i think fans are confused and they're rightly confused because the studio set up the sequel to be very confusing.
1: So I just wanna keep track of some of maybe the lessons learned here, Eric. Not a great sign when you keep recutting a movie separate from the original movie's director, right? Not a great sign when maybe Uh you take the wrong lessons from both the excitement around a trailer and around Kind of like a big hit or even the lesson you take away from mm-hmm. maybe an underwhelming hit right like some of a lot of people have interpreted the box office returns of batman versus superman impacted warner brothers future decision making because that movie was not a huge kind of financial success right
0: yeah it made a lot of money just not as much as they wanted it to yeah yes
1: And so there were, I I guess earlier I said, this is the fork in the road, but it seems like the fork keeps forking, right? This is a whole fork and mess over here. (laughs) Right.
0: Which uh, leads us to the Justice League theatrical cut later in the year in 2017. That's where the fork of the road just caused the train to derail and smash into a school (laughs) and to just keep going and going and going uh, until it runs over a a DeLorean. And we can't go back in time anymore because the flash isn't in movies. So I'll say this about Justice League. Zack Snyder had, I remember uh, 2016 uh, Comic-Con, Zack Snyder released a trailer for this movie and people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You already have all this footage to give us. And I got so excited. The vision seemed so promising. The cast seemed fully fleshed out. The, The tone seemed already there. And I was excited to see what he was gonna do with this. He put together what was like a several hour crazy cut of the movie. And then in early 2017, Tragedy struck with his family. His daughter died. Uh, So he stepped down from production. Uh, So then the studio, afraid that uh, this kind of the movie was going to be too dark or too gritty. But really the problem was the studio didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know what they didn't want. They didn't know what they wanted.
1: What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want?
0: They were just kind of reacting to everything, and they ended up handing the movie over to Joss Whedon, thinking he would just fix everything, because, hey, it's a guy who did The Avengers. He knows what he's doing. Reshooting a lot of it. And then the result was uh, a cut that left the movie's mythology completely undeveloped. The VFX was... just like potato We all remember the reshoots with Henry Cavill that forced him to CGI over his mustache. He gave him that really goofy looking upper lip. You won't let me live. You won't- Die. It's like you didn't need, that scene did not need to be in the movie at all. Like there's just a lot of, huh? Like really, that's our Justice League, huh? So all of Snyder's plans for Justice League part two that we're gonna bring in Darkseid and then we're gonna circle back to that nightmare sequence and that flashpoint setup, all that was scrapped. There was this post credit scene with Lex Luthor and Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke that maybe was gonna set up a Deathstroke as the Ben Affleck Batman solo film villain. But then that film was scrapped, when they couldn't agree on a version of the project that Ben Affleck was okay with. You
1: are gonna be directing Batman potentially? Well, that's the idea. The idea is that there's no movie, you know, yet. It's not a movie, but there is the plan to make a Batman movie.
0: And they kind of went back to square one with that. Then going to Matt Reeves, who reconceived it as a new Robert Pattinson The Batman, which looks great, but it's just in a different world. Meanwhile, everything seemed to be tail spinning. Uh, there was a planned Harley Quinn Joker rom com spin off from the This Is Us creators that was canceled, along with a Jared Leto Joker solo film canceled. Really, it just let the Todd Phillips Walking Phoenix Joker uh, go because it was super low budget and they move forward and that ended up like winning oscars and making a crap ton of money (laughs) meanwhile the dominant dcu narrative for the next few years was when will warner brothers release the snyder cut and zach you remember where we're at with that we were like is this a real story
1: as you pointed out a couple times it was hard to tell is this a very small contingent of super passionate people who are kind of clinging to this idea right? Or is this a real movement with, with enough people behind it and kind of the public momentum? Because don't you think it was kind of, it was a dark period, I mean that in multiple uh, ways, for the DCEU, right? After Justice League comes out and really nobody mm-hmm. was happy with it, right? The, the hardcore fans, the general public. Right. And so it's like, they need something to look forward to. And like, this was kind of the light know this last movie was not what we wanted but that's because you know it was mishandled by Joss Whedon and boy when you think about it they really couldn't have hired a worse person now and this isn't even Ray Fisher over here talking about like the various harmful behaviors on set but like Joss Whedon a guy who's like made a similar movie and so has this very distinct vision if they would have just kind of hired a journeyman director to come in and take it across uh-huh. the finish line, right? Grab some European guy who knows how to do a good tracking shot and just let him get that last 20% out that Snyder was able, to, unable to finish. But instead they bring in this very specific, determined, successful director who reshapes the entire thing in his image and it just turns into a mess. This is the best version of me that I can explain.
0: So then there was this kind of awkward year throughout 2018. It ended with Aquaman coming out um, and that was James Wan's undersea origin story for Arthur Curry, Jason Momoa, and kind of a royal conflict with his half-brother Orm, Patrick Wilson, and that was kind of set up by the fact that Arthur had this five-pronged trident a quint-dent whatever uh, of his mother in Justice League. It was Atlanta's, uh, so he kind of inherited it, but in the Aquaman movie we see him acquiring the three-pronged trident of his ancestor, King Atlan, to become the true orange and green-suited Aquaman and there weren't really a ton of DCEU Easter eggs in Aquaman. I remember there was more like James Wan Easter eggs. There was like Annabelle showed up in there, uh, but I don't remember seeing a lot of like, oh, this is how that connects to that. It was like James Wan was just steering clear of a lot of it.
1: And so much of that movie took place underwater, so it's easy to avoid like a random flash spotting if you're in the Mariana's trench or whatever. Right. Now,
0: a couple months later, Shazam came out, which you know that movie kind of came and went because 2019 was obviously a huge year for comic book movies. But I really like David F. Sandberg. I love his horror film work, and he kind of did this homage to. Big Zach Levi was the adult Billy Bats in Shazam. And I kinda liked it. it. It felt like an old school superhero movie. I thought it was funny. It was charming. And the way it connected to the DCEU I thought was really clever because it was just kind of like the way fanboys connect to it. Like Freddie Freeman was obsessed with the Justice League heroes. He wears shirts and jackets for all of them. He has merch all over his shelves. He has like newspaper clippings from past events. So it feels like it's in the world, but that's not like it serves the character it's not just like forced in and then we all remember the final scene of that features a cameo by superman but it was like a headless superman because they couldn't get henry cavill to do it uh so we just see his body coming with john williams superman theme and we don't see his head which i assume he was headless and i will say i
1: i agree that shazam movie was so much fun and it it was nice in that it, it it took like the fun montages of some of these other superhero movies and just like really embraced those and kind of almost like stretched those to feature yeah. length. It was that movie was a good time.
0: Yeah, it was enjoyable. Um, 2019 ended though with a very interesting moment for the DCEU, a movie that's not part of the DCEU, Joker. <laughs> A complete surprise monster success. This thing broke uh, box office records. I think it's the uh, highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Won awards, won Oscars. It is not at all connected to the DCU. It's really uninterested in DC mythology. It's really more of like a mental illness character study, kind of like Taxi Driver. Who the f- do you think you're talking to? With a Fight Club style unreliable narrator. That's right. But the thing with Joker was it gave the studio a path forward without the DCU. They started to wonder, well, do we need this interconnectivity if we can do very low-budget movies and make... 10 times as much back. Around the same time, uh, the CW did the Crisis on Infinite Earths. That was the Arrow versus Flash versus the Bertlante shows, uh, their annual crossover event. But they connected it to the DCEU in a really fun way. They had a cameo by Ezra Miller, Barry Allen, and many of us believe that we could see the mirror side of it in the upcoming Flash movie. And then moving right along to uh, Birds of Prey one of the only movies to come out in 2020 theatrically really this was just an excuse to break back Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad and try to make her what I think was the Deadpool of the DCEU she was freshly broken up with Mr. J and uh, we really only see him I think in the form of a doodle there were some customary DC background set easter eggs ace chemicals showed up again but the only one of imports to the DCEU going forward was this wanted poster for Captain Boomerang which signaled to us that he uh, must have escaped from from prison and that he would show up in some Suicide Squad in the future. I
1: I enjoyed it. Also, um, one of the best uh, egg sandwich cameos in any movie I've seen in a long time.
0: Egg, bacon, American cheese, gash of hot sauce. (sighs) It's hard to find a good breakfast sandwich in LA. People want their nice, cute Instagrammy brunches, not their like sloppy, greasy, wrapped bodega sandwiches.
1: Eating crap with these sacks of shit. If they died tomorrow, no one would shed a tear. So
0: cute. Hey, if you live in LA, you know where to find a good breakfast sandwich, let me know. I found a uh, Cafe Tropical in, in Los Feliz and I found Hank's bagels in uh, Toluca Lake, which has a great bagel breakfast sandwich. Right
1: down the street from me. You Don't actually live me. above yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't
0: find me. <laughs> so that brought us to the present, Wonder Woman 1984. This movie, I have some mixed feelings about it. Really just ignored DCU continuity altogether, which at this point, I bet the filmmaker just thought that no one really remembers what the rules are Diana can fly in this movie, despite not flying decades later. The world undergoes an insane nuclear crisis based on Max Lord's genie magic monkey paw law. Life is good but it can be better. That would not have left the world as it was in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. I'm sorry. It's just insane. Really, these past couple DCEU titles just feel like obligatory sequels and spin-offs that were just eagerly greenlit after modest fan approval in the past without any broader creative goal to them. And that's just because Warner alienated their key visionary to unite all this stuff, Zack Snyder. And Jeff Johns hasn't been able to communicate a unifying vision that can get the studio in the film filmmakers united behind. So it's just kind of a confusing place where it's at right now. However, the DCEU appears to be headed for a possible rebirth. And I'm not talking about the DC rebirth, I'm talking about a DCEU rebirth, my friends, starting with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Coming to HBO Max sometime this year, we think as soon as March, and Zack Snyder has promised to restore his original vision. We're gonna see some deleted sequences featuring Ray Fisher's performance as Cyborg. Uh, we're gonna see Black Suit Superman, Dark Side's backstory, the whole nightmare future. Flash is gonna use his speed force to travel through time, we think. It looks like a very different tonal experience that might hit a lot of the same story beats as it theatrical cut, but it's going to put them in a much more, I think, satisfying context. Uh, but Zach, let's talk about how the Snyder Cut uh, could fix the EU. One, it could set up Flashpoint and set up the upcoming Flash movie, which can then use time travel in the DC multiverse to resolve all past plot holes. I'm telling you, once we clear the air, everybody's going to be pals again. The second way it can fix, it can kind of turn the page. It can give the proper send-off to Henry Cavill or Ben Affleck in a way that doesn't make their era feel like a mistake.
1: Save Martha!
0: You can kind of create a new 52 reset for DC cinematic going forward. However, it could also bring back Cavill. It could reopen the door for Henry Cavill to return as Superman. The guy was great. I would say after Zack Snyder, Cavill seems like the most underused talent from this franchise. And Zack, you asked about this earlier, but this could lead to more director cut series. I am someone who loves every cut of everything, every version, every deleted scene. I'll watch it all. Uh, And if the Snyder cut, it's an interesting experiment. It could lead to a surge of subscriptions to HBO Max. And if HBO is happy with it, if Warner's happy, hell, let's see that Ayer cut a Suicide Squad. Whatever it is, let's see it. And let's see Ben Affleck's vision for the Batman. Like, Where's the
1: Batman? Whoa, I'm working. (laughs) Give me
0: a second. Like, if fans want it, if the director's on board, If it can be done on budget, you know, via animation or storyboards, do a documentary series, do live readings. There are lots of ways this vision could move forward. Just
1: deep fake. Deep fake Ben Affleck onto Robert Pattinson for every shot of the Batman. You know, it's good to have dreams.
0: Now, here's what I'm worried about the DCU. Here are the challenges to, to fixing the DCEU because I think Warner could get greedy uh and cash in with more sequels and spinoffs that don't really make sense like we got a sequel to Aquaman coming late 2022 maybe early 2023 we got Shazam Fury of the Gods coming 2023 they recently greenlit a third Wonder Woman movie Patty Jenkins might not come in back for that one and then we got the Shazam spinoff Black Adam White Wade Wilson starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson now if you are excited about any of these titles I don't want to take any of your excitement they could all be fantastic movies but Here's what's scary about it. They really, really, really need the Snyder cut in Suicide Squad and at least a flash trailer to keep the fan thirst alive for these titles. Because otherwise, and this is a big challenge with the DCU, when your characters are out of sight, they're out of mind. You don't have like two to three movies a year to remind us all that these characters exist. When you have two to three movies a year like the mcu does you have a ton of trailers coming out you have tie-in series coming out like fans don't forget people exist whereas you know when these movies returned like a wonder Woman 84 trailer came out i was like oh you know uh, that model from four years ago is doing something new now but here's the challenge for the snyder cut if the snyder cut and let's say the suicide squad and the flash are earth shatteringly su- successful enough That could convince Warner and HBO Max, AT&T, their parent company, to keep that cinematic universe alive in a different form, even if it's just on HBO Max. They did already say that they plan to release a couple movies theatrically every year and then a couple movies just on the streaming platform. That could be where the DCEU lives on and I wouldn't have a problem with that as long as we can get it. We can get to it faster if it releases on my TV at home. And then maybe some of them are so good, you also do a theatrical release and I'll pay to see it in the theater. Like The Flash could be so insanely good that we are now excited to see these Aquaman and and Shazam and Wonder Woman sequels and spinoffs that we're gonna get. Like we wanna see what those characters do post-crisis. Ultimately though, Zach, I think we might finally see a live action DC lineup that does fulfill the promise of that 2017 fanfare of all the characters. I think at the end of the day, that's all we really want.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. Cause you know where my gut instinct says? In a time when Marvel is condensing, Right. It used to be like the Netflix Marvel World or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They were kind mm-hmm. of slightly separate from the film versions. Right. But now, no, there is only one Marvel now. Right. The the anything streaming, anything on TV, any film are all going to exist in the exact same universe. There's part of me that's like. DC should swerve hard in the other direction. And I want a thousand mm-hmm. different universes, right? The Flash doesn't need to take place in the same place in the same world as Aquaman or Future Justice League's or the Batman or whatever, right? Like give give us as superhero movie consumers, right, more options rather than just two. More!
0: Well, and that's the argument for letting the flash be a flashpoint story that can do that can just restore it into kind of a new 52 that don't always connect you know maybe the flash ends with like this is the climax of the dceu these characters are done and then now they don't have to reference each other ever again Um, until later somewhere down the line someone wants to take another shot at doing justice league Uh, Maybe it's Zack Snyder. Maybe it's someone else who learns from his vision and tries to improve upon it or go in a different direction. But I think he deserves his opportunity to tell the vision he wanted to tell. He's getting it. And that's great. Uh, And I think it could really set up Flash to be like the distillation of that that connects everything together and then never again. (laughs) I love it. I like that but we'll see uh let us know what you want the future of the dceu to be in the comments below we're gonna move on to some friends who helped us make this episode first we want to thank our friends at amazon pharmacy for sponsoring this episode of big question take a break from streaming the newest season of the boys or buying a new gadget and check out the pharmacy section of amazon trust me on this amazon pharmacy is the super easy way to save time and money and not have to wait in line at the actual physical pharmacy which I freaking hate, I hate, I hate being inside anywhere right now, especially around people who need medications to feel better. Uh, And, uh, and it's just, uh, I don't like it. Um, Well, Amazon Pharmacy coordinates with your doctor to receive your prescriptions, and then they deliver those medications right to your door. They work with most insurance plans. It's awesome. I'm already buying stuff on Amazon because of the convenience and the easy delivery. It just makes sense to do the same with prescriptions, doesn't it? Something I don't want to worry about running out of. Let's be honest. Uh, Pharmacy errands are among the least fun errands uh, up there with trips to the post office or like contesting a parking ticket, uh, wisdom tooth removal. I hate that errand. (laughs) It's it's so painful. Uh, Take one of those pains off your to-do list with Amazon Pharmacy. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at Amazon.com slash Big Question Rx. That's A-M-A-Z-O-N dot com slash Big Rx. Amazon.com slash Big
1: Question Rx. Zach, we're getting Bezos money now? <laughs> yeah, now all we gotta do is get Elon Musk money and we'll have uh, the two the, the world's two richest men in our back pocket.
0: <laughs> and then we'll gradually drain them dry. Oh and also je suis excité pour Snyder cut. In case you don't speak French, obviously I don't either, but that translates to I am excited for Snyder cut and I just learned it from Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Thank you to Babbel for sponsoring this episode of Big Question. Folks, I would love to get to travel to Europe someday and I want to be able to chat with the new nerd friends in their native tongue. Well, Babbel has made that language learning process addictively fun and easy with bite-sized lessons that you are going to actually use in the real world. Babbel's 15 minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go uh, while you're waiting in a drive-through line or during a commercial break. Unlike those language classes that you took from high school and block out as I do most of my high school memories, Babbel designs their courses with practical real world conversations in mind, things that you will use in everyday life. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages including Spanish, French, Italian, and German, plus Babbel's speech recognition Technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent, which I should probably open up another lesson because obviously my French needs work. Right now, when you purchase a three month Babbel subscription, you will get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use their promo code BIGQuestion. That's B A B B E L dot com, code BIGQuestion for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. All right, now we're gonna move on to some bite-sized question that Zach's gonna answer for us. You ready? Zach, absolutely all right our friend actually sauceless again from discord asks in avengers endgame when thor summons his hammer in the past what would have happened if 2013 thor tried summoning it at the same time would it go to whomever is worthier or does it just stop in place being pulled in both directions
1: i love it and you know the worthiness of mjolnir it's such a fun topic, right? It's one of the, the most interesting things it. within the MCU because it, it's evolved a little bit over time. And God, has there ever been a moment better than Cap wielding Mjolnir in that final battle in Endgame? I mean, I could watch that video yeah. of the theater crowd cheering when that happens on loop, it'd make me smile all day long. This particular question is really fun and quick shout out to actually Sauceless, Sauceless or Saucy Bobby, the entire uh, sauce verse on Discord. Um, <laughs> I like this question because it, it it applies not only to older Thor versus young Thor, right, but Thor versus Cap since in-game, you know, yeah. established Cap is... is worthy Uh, and that battle was like this insane melee, right? Where there's moving bodies and and good guys and bad guys flying around, right? Like both Avengers would likely even just instinctually have tried to summon Mjolnir at the same time, right? Out of each other's hands. Cap, you know, reaching back to whack-a-dude and just Mjolnir flies away and into Thor's hand. <laughs> son of a bitch. For gosh sake, watch your language. So I think it's important for us here to define worthiness in, in this context, ah, yes. right? And whether worthiness is this kind of subjective quality that can be measured on a spectrum, or is it like a binary trait, a yes-no Kind of thing, you either are worthy or not. Or could you be, you know, somebody, Has can, to fail. yes, welcome to worthiness school and you fail? Yeah, could somebody be a, a 9.2 of worthiness versus a 9.7 or something like that, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. If it is this kind of spectrum idea, right, of it's, it's a range, much like uh, maybe sexuality or, or autism or, or lots of other things, right? Uh, Mjolnir, in theory, would give priority to the most worthy wielder. Right? Like whoever's okay. the most worthy should two people be summoning it at the same time, it would fly to that person. Right? And you could argue uh-huh. that Endgame Thor might have been the most worthy. Right? Because if If Uh if Thor 1 or Thor Dark World Thor was worthy of Mjolnir, well, he's only experienced more. He's matured more. He's learned more about sacrifice. He had that great reconnection with uh, his mom, right? Like he went kind of through the dark valley of um, being Fortnite Thor. He managed to summon Mjolnir in 2013 when he went back to Asgard from whoever had it in that moment, which in theory was 2013 Thor. Right. That's Thor Thor Dark World era Thor. And Endgame Thor is basically able to snatch it right from his grip. Mm -hmm. So in theory, Endgame Thor more worthy Mm -hmm. than Dark World Thor. Would you agree with that? I,
0: I, I would. Um, you could say that like his uh, retirement period made him less worthy, but I don't think so. I, I think you're right. The fact that he could get it in that moment, he realized he was still worthy. And at least at after resolving issues with his mother, he was probably at max worthiness. That it was his final form of worthiness.
1: He must be finished transforming. He's technically more of everything in Endgame. Body mass, hair, Mm. uh, (laughs) hand-eye coordination. You could also argue that Endgame Cap is more worthy than Endgame Thor, okay? Since Thor, right, like we would said, Thor's been through some stuff. He's at a low point, especially at the beginning of Endgame, right? He kind of gave up. He let himself go. He's not in maybe the best mental state. You know, he has... Uh, magically braided his beard, but the beard's still there, right? He's still a little rough. Yeah. He's still a little bit in the wilderness. I'm completely lost. None of his Avenger buddies, or really Thor for that matter, right? Like trusted him to do the snap, right? They gave that to Hulk, right? That says something about like, ah, he's maybe not in the best place mentally, even though technically the guy's a God, he should have been the one, you know, all things being equal, you know, snapping. If we say, and you know, again, the definition has changed over time, but like if Asgardian worth seems to respond to courage, strength, resilience, selflessness, right? The ability to, uh, or the willingness to sacrifice oneself, or your loved ones, as Thor showed us in the very first Thor movie, right? Like, nobody embodies that Mm. better than Cap. And he has not had the dark arc of kind of like losing those qualities, right? Like throughout every Mm -hmm. MCU appearance of Captain America, right? He's embodied that worthiness.
0: Yeah, he's been pretty steady. Simple life.
1: And some have argued, I like this argument too, and that, that scene in Age of Ultron, at the party scene where everybody's like trying to, you know, pull up on Mjolnir mm-hmm. and Tony can't move it and Rhodey can't move it and uh, uh, Bruce can't move it. And, and Cap wiggles it just a little bit. That, that was Cap holding back. He knew he could have picked it up, but because he's so worthy, he didn't want to make his buddy Thor feel bad. Right? he And in fact, that's, mm, that only yeah, right. proves his worthiness, that he's not a showboater, uh-huh. right? That like, he doesn't want to do this. He's he, he wiggled it almost by accident, or maybe in that tiny wiggle, he realized that he could do it and he didn't want to, right? Uh-huh. Because that's not his style. Yeah, The MCU has given no indication that anybody can be more worthy than anybody else, right? They haven't really shown us that there's this scale. It seems like the MCU is probably on this binary thing, right? You know, yeah, I think so. Od- Odin's sweet little whisper, right? Cue the yin-yang twins. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, right? Bah, bah, bah. So it's whosoever. It's not like if he be the most worthy, if he be a slightly above right, somebody right. else or whatever, right? It's just you uh-huh. are or you are not. So Thor is worthy. Boom. Cap is worthy, right? Vision is worthy. Maybe not enough people to talk about that's that. right. Homeboy Vision just picking it up. Now, you can make the argument, it might have been a joke that like Vision is just an elevator, right? If you put Mjolnir in an elevator and it went up a floor, you know, that's basically what a living being, yeah. He's not a person, so he's <laughs> just a machine like a forklift or whatever. But Odin is worthy, and technically, Hela is worthy, right? Hela destroys that's right, Mjolnir. She catches it, uh huh, destroys it. And we could get into the weeds here about like worthiness to wield Mjolnir versus worthiness to have the powers of Thor. Right, and they, they haven't gone uh-huh. into a ton of detail there, right? To totally like shoot the lightning and access the Bifrost and stuff like that. Like that might be an extra degree of worthiness above just being able to hold the hammer and, and crack somebody with it. Uh, th- those are the, the kind of the four confirmed people within the MCU that we know about it, right? And I think Hella is the most instructive one there. But let, let's say one of those summoners is not evil, you know, out for revenge Hella. but if it had been Cap and Endgame Thor, trying to summon it at the same time, two equally worthy people, right? I think it comes back down to just dibs, right? If, if I happen uh-huh. to summon it, a fraction of a second ahead of you, Eric, right? You being uh, Endgame Thor and me being uh, Endgame Cap in this moment, I get first dibs, right? And then maybe once it comes to me, maybe it could flow back to you, who knows? We could make that argument, right? But like, I think think that's what it has to be. And even if it's a fraction of a millionth of a second, right?
0: But I would say the problem is like, that's never gonna happen because if you're worthy, you're okay with the hammer going to someone else who's worthy, you know? So it's like, you're never gonna get to the situation where people are equally wanting it. They'd be like, oh yeah it's fine you take it no you take it no you take it after you oh no you first
1: i couldn't think of it if thor did accidentally yank it out of his hand because he needed it you know cap would have been cool with that he would have just started smashing guys with the shield and i think that is the fascinating part of that hella moment of like before thor can summon it back she destroys it right so she never has that Mm -hmm. kind of like which almost like the action there's a lot of um Catch-22s with Mjolnir in that, like, the action of destroying it proves you're unworthy, but it's too late because it's already destroyed. Uh,
0: she w- was able to wield it before Odin's worthiness charm. So she's kind of like, you know, her wielding of it is different. It's not a worthy thing for her. She is just like, she was there. She was kind of there. It was originally hers to begin with. So yeah. she's kind of like, you know, grandfathered into that. Yeah.
1: Grandmothered, grand, uh, grand, grand-godded grand, uh, in.
0: Grand-wizarded? Uh-oh. it. Yeah.
1: Um, I also I, I I do love that like you know in the comics they they obviously have more time to spend on Mjolnir and and we could see this in Thor: Love and Thunder with Jane Foster like Mjolnir is almost like the embodiment it's, it almost has a personality right there's almost like some decision making within yeah. Magic uh, Hammer and like Mjolnir hmm. chooses to let Jane Foster kind of wield it and they kind of forms that partnership with her. And we know, yeah. you know, Natalie Portman is gonna we saw that Comic Con moment, right? She's gonna wield Mjolnir. And so like hmm. it would be interesting if they explore a little bit of that as well. Because it's magic. You could do whatever yeah. you want. It's magic. Is that how Shut up. Beth.
0: That is true. Um all right, another question from Manscaping Pancakes on Discord. <laughs> asks. In Ant-Man and the Wasp, Scott Lang states that the largest size he's been able to grow to is 65 feet. Does he break that record during the final battle of Avengers Endgame? If so, by how much?
1: Okay. And this is one of those great questions that we can really get specific with, right? There's a great screenshot, right? When everybody's coming through the portals in that final battle, right? There's giant Scott, right? And then down at, its, at his feet, Right, there are human characters or human-sized characters, right? And you can extrapolate that he is nineteen times taller than the human character at his foot. And so we don't know. It's 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 a zoomed-out shot. You can't tell, is that Black Panther or you know, Captain America or whoever. We we have no idea who who the character is, but if you assume maybe an average heighted human male, right, it's about five nine. Right, so 19 times 5.9 would be about 109 feet tall, 33 meters Ooh, for our okay, in, in, um, in the developed world, <laughs> so that is that's almost double the height that he'd achieved before. Uh
0: huh. Right?
1: Which makes sense. It's the biggest battle in the history of the MCU. We need the biggest possible giant man, right? But I think some uh. people have made the argument he actually might even be taller than that because right, he holds Hulk in the palm of his hand. MCU Hulk is usually considered to be about seven, five, somewhere between that and, and eight feet. Oh, at
0: least, I think he's like 10 feet. That guy's a okay. big dude.
1: Fair enough, right? And palm of his hand, right? Like like I would hold a, a baseball or something like that. So like that, and and I think if we go back to that image that we showed earlier, right? Some people have argued that actually the little humans were might even be standing um, closer to camera than Scott, right? So there's maybe even some perspective uh-huh. issue there. And that those humans, might not be normal humans. Might not be Americans, for that matter. Right? They—they—they they seem to be Wakandan warriors. Seems like they got little ah. spears next to them, right? And if they're Wakandans from the Jabari tribe, right? Those are some big people. Okay. And Baku, yeah, are and his men are the tallest, the biggest of the the wakandans right like winston duke the yeah. actor who plays mbaku he's six five he doesn't even look like the biggest jabari right like some of them are are, yeah. are are very large like if you assume maybe the person's you know standing on the ground next to scott lang in that moment might be seven feet tall oh well you multiply that out times 19 right like you get to 133 feet which is oh, like, okay through like double the previous record of 65. that's big That's big. Now that's gonna, can you imagine the size of the orange slice Scott is gonna need the (laughs) next day after getting that He's gonna
0: take like a a month long nap after that. That guy didn't get winded at all.
1: You know, probably worth it though, to save half the people on earth. Probably, you know, it's okay to gas yourself out in that moment, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, double sounds good. Double sounds good. It sounds like the VFX guys, Dan Dillieu, was just like, ah, let's make them double. Double is big this yes. time, uh, right. times two, Everybody Keep it simple.
1: Cab gets to wield Mjolnir, Tony gets his big, super heroic, uh, I'm Iron Man moment, right? Let Scott, at least in the in the background, be twice as big as he's ever gotten, right?
0: Yeah. Scott in the background of the endgame game final battle is one of the best parts about it. It's like, we get to see true giant man like punching Leviathans, Ugh. shoving one through a portal. So using, giving like <laughs> assist to Spider-Man, it's great.
1: <laughs> It's when he shines, right? He's the best possible background character because he's the only one you can make out. You know, besides maybe like (laughs) tiny, like Valkyrie, like Pegasus wings, you know, it's like Uh that distance, he's really the only uh, Marvel character you can make out.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Zach. Well, that is it for this episode of Big Question. Uh, Thank you to Zach for joining me down the rabbit hole of DCU history. Uh, I
1: had to hold up my hammer earlier. I had a visual aid (laughs) for the Mjolnir topic. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Too late. Uh well um uh, be sure to follow Zach at Z Huddleston, follow me at EA Voss, follow new Rockstar. send us your big questions using the hashtag big questions, subscribe to this podcast feed, give us a nice rating and review if you don't mind. Uh subscribe to New Rockstars here on YouTube, hit that notification bell, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.